0: who they are and what they are yet to become. We honor the Lord for that. The evidence before us this morning, of course, has proven to be quite persuasive that God can use anyone God desires and that God does indeed use both the youth and the middle and the old or age or seasoned God uses the stretch of all of our lives to carry out his will and direction that the good news might be shared with everyone we come in contact with. I wanna ask if you would join me this morning in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, I want to read verses 14 through 23, very quickly, verses 14 through 23. I know some of you are saying, that. hold on, the program says Genesis chapter 37, I know. But pastor said 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14 through 23. No, I know I told him that I just, I made a change in between service, so I'll explain to you how that happened. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Saul's servants then said to him behold now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you let our Lord now command your servants who are before you let them seek a man who is skillful player on the harp and it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be made well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men answered and said, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a mighty man of valor, a warrior, one prudent in speech and a handsome man, and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who is with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread and a jug of wine and a young goat and sent them to Saul by David his son. Then David came to Saul and attended him and Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David now stand before me. he has found favor in my sight so it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart from him amen you may be seated So this morning, we took a journey back into the life of Joseph, and I only highlighted the first line, or should I say the second line, in the second verse of Genesis 37, and that was that Joseph was 17 years of age. That's all I highlighted. And we wrestled from that premise to answer the question that's posed on the sermon, can God stretch me a mere kid? And we argued from Joseph's perspective where he was in reference to how God was speaking in his life that no doubt God uses even the kid from which we may define what a kid might be. But we took a look at several other Old Testament characters to show us how God indeed does use, i.e. children, even at a young age. We talked about a king by the name of Joaz in 2 Kings chapter 12 and 2 Chronicles chapter chapter 24. Jehoaz was a king who came to be the king of Judah came in reign at the age of seven years old. Seven years old. And reigned for 40 years. For God used him in a very mighty way. Then in 2 Kings chapter 22, we talked about another king. His name was Josiah. His father was named Amnon and his father died and Josiah became the king at the age of eight. And God used him to bring major reforms in the religious life of Israel so much so that they were going in one direction and God used this young king who moved Israel to walk in the direction that was pleasing unto God. In fact, in both of these young men's lives, the scripture says they did right that was in the sight of the Lord. Their lives were moving in the right direction, but more critically was even though they were children, God raised them, used them, brought them up, matured them into the calling in which he had in their lives that they might demonstrate before us that God uses children just as he uses adults. But there are more examples. There is a young lady in 2 Kings chapter 5, a young girl, we believe we believe to be somewhere in the neighborhood around 10 years old, whom God uses to help Naaman, the general understand the importance of following in obedience to the words of the prophet Elisha. This young girl who is described as a handmaiden reminds Naaman, if the king had told you what the prophet told you, which was to go down to the Jordan and dip seven times, if the king had said that, would you do it? And Naaman responded by saying, of course I would do it because if the king says it, then it must be legitimate. And the young girl says, trust me, if the king you think is legitimate, the king is no more legitimate than the God of your creation. And this young girl leads Naaman to the Jordan River and then Naaman baptizes himself or dips himself into the Jordan seven times and he comes up healed. And I want to highlight the point, but his healing came through being obedient to the direction of a 10 year old girl. We also learn from the Gospel of John chapter 6 that there's a young boy there in the midst of Jesus standing before a crowd. In fact, the text, John describes him as a little boy, which may be in Jewish terms probably somewhere between the ages of 7 and 11. This little boy comes to this crowd, no doubt yet to see Jesus, but is picked out. And Jesus borrows his two fish and five barley loaves just to make preparations to feed 5,000 and more. Don't miss the point. It wasn't an adult that handed over his lunch. It was a little boy who merely gave up his lunch that he might grow up into. And the interesting thing is we never know who this little boy was. His name is not mentioned in the text, but I wondered what impact did he have, not only in his own life, but in the lives of those he came in contact with later. We never will know. Only heaven knows what God had in store for him. In Genesis chapter 37, we took a look at Joseph's life, because we knew that God had a calling on the life of Joseph and gave him something tremendous, a dream, gave him a dream. And he reassured him that even though I gave you a dream, it will be fulfilled, but it won't be fulfilled without a moment of challenge. And Joseph experienced that in the pit, in the palace, and in the prison. All of that, though, takes us back to Joseph only being at the beginning A 17-year-old kid whom God entrusted with a dream. And no doubt God had to prepare Joseph for a long journey because he would be hated by his brothers. And you read Genesis 37, the first 11 verses, it says on three different occasions that his brothers hated him and hated him even more. And verse eight says they hated him because not only of the dream, but because of the words he kept speaking about the dream. God is in the business of using young people. I only came to raise up this morning that it's not just Joseph, but there's also someone whom we believe to be perhaps in the age between 16 and 18. His name is David. He is one of the sons of Jesse. When you start reading 1 Samuel chapter 16, Samuel is in a sense of mourning because of the passing of Saul. The real thing is he knows that Saul is no longer the king of Israel. And Samuel is brokenhearted because he realizes Saul suffers the consequence of making the wrong decision by consulting whom he consulted in a moment when he needed wisdom. It wasn't God. It was the witch of Endor. And it wasn't even really the fact that he's, consulted the witch even though that was bad but if you knew the history in order to consult the witch of Endor you had to go behind enemy lines to talk with her and I think what broke Samuel's heart was that Sammy realized Saul you were under the auspices of God's control how could you go behind enemy lines and talk to someone else who couldn't even give you the answer to the question you were searching Samuel's was depressed. And God stops by to Samuel and says, tell me why you still mourning. Read the text. You need to get up and get yourself prepared because I have already somebody else in mind that's going to lead Israel. And I'm going to use you to get them prepared. And to fast track the story, when Samuel goes and God tells him to go and see Jesse the Bethlehemite. He brings all his sons out. And you read the text, as each one comes out, Samuel, the first one, saw, uh, Jesse's oldest son, Samuel, says, I know this is him. This has got to be the one that God's going to anoint as the king. But the Bible says that God says, no, that's, that's not him. He brings out the next, no, that's not him. He brings out the next, no, that's not him. He brings out the next after seven sons. God tells Samuel that's not him. In fact, he warns Samuel. He says, Samuel, do me a favor. Don't look at the outside of a man. That's what men do. But God never measures a man by what he has on the outside, but he looks at the person on the inside. And God moves upon Samuel's heart to ask the next most critical question, Jesse, do you have any more sons? Yeah, I got one, but he's attending sheep. And God whispers in the ear of Samuel, that's him, that's the one I want. Samuel says, bring him here, bring him here, read the text, bring him here, he brings him here. And Saul, uh, Samuel says, bring him here, that's who God wants. And says, verse 11, I think it is verse 11. Samuel says to Jesse, I'll your children. And there remains yet the youngest, the youngest, the youngest, the youngest, the youngest. You don't want him. He's a boy tending sheep. In fact, if you think about it, we've given him the worst job of all the brothers. He tends sheep. He takes them out to be fed. He shovels the manure. He helps trim their coat. He feeds them. He leads them. God, I feel that vision coming up. They don't know that God is already setting up in the life of David in his youthful years the exposition of Psalm 23. He's already setting it up and he takes David's context in the fields with the sheep and I came to tell some young person today, it doesn't matter the context to which you were born. I don't care if you were born in the house, outside the house, uptown, downtown, inside, outside. God will use you if you're willing to be available that he might touch your life. There are five things, five quick things I want to tell you that I'm going home because I'm hungry. And get in my seat. Five things that God did in the life of Joseph that He does likewise in the life of David. We're back to First Samuel chapter sixteen, verse eleven. Samuel says to Jesse, "Send and bring him, for he will not sit down until he comes out." Here comes David. And look at him. He's a kid, but look at where verse twelve says he sent brought him in he was handsome beautiful eyes and the Lord said anoint him that's who I want can you interject for a moment Samuel's consideration God you sure this is a boy a kid that's all he is anoint him that's who I want. Five things. Follow me in the text. First of all, understand that doesn't matter what your age is, God has already selected you for service. See, look back in the text and let me show you what God is doing here in the text. Look what it says in verse 1. Chapter 16, he tells Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being the king of Israel? Look what he says, fill your horn with oil and go, and I'm going to send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Look what it says, for I have selected a king for myself. Young man or woman, do you know, in fact, you don't even know, you don't even know what God has selected you for yet even as your youthful days you don't know the potential you don't know what God has on the horizon you don't know the calling or the anointing which is the reason why if you read the two kings that I mentioned earlier they were surrounded by priests which is why you need wisdom around you. If you look in the bulletin, I gave some supplemental texts of Proverbs chapter three, verse 21 through 24, and also Proverbs chapter four, verse 10 through 16. You need some wisdom around you because you don't yet know how to make good moral decisions. Nor are you yet apt enough to comprehend the importance of ethics. I mentioned this morning that one of the reasons why God uses youth is because youth depicts something that God is trying to draw out of all of us and that is dependency on their parents. They depend on their parents for provision that they would provide the basics of the necessities of life. Give me food, give me clothing, give me wisdom, give me values, give me morality, give me ethics. They need that provision because they are not yet prepared to make provisions for themselves. But they also trust their parents for protection. Give me a space that I can call safe slash home, where if I get here, I can recognize that I'm safe from the ills of life that can protect me from the storms of life, from the winds of adversity, from the challenges out there, the unknown, that which I am not prepared to do. If I can get to the shelter of my parents, I have protection but then they also trust their parents for purpose. Purpose because no matter how young, every child looks to their parent to pour into them purpose in life. What do I mean? Who am I? Why am I here? Is there value to me? What is my identity? And every parent who indeed loves their child pours into by way of reassuring who they are, what they are. You can, you will, perseverance. There is a purpose for your life. Because God is trying to get us to recognize that as that child trusts the parent, I'm trying to get you to trust me for your protection. I want you to understand that even though you may walk through the day You are not protecting yourself only I've got angels all around you I've got protective grace that covers you Mercy and goodness covers the rear I'm looking over you in terms of protection God says I want you to recognize that I am the one who's giving you provision Even though you work every day But if it wasn't for my mercy and grace that woke you up every morning You wouldn't have the provision to be alive and well And then I want you to trust me for purpose I know the plans that I have for you Plans not to harm you But plans to bless you Plans to expand you Plans to move you on I got the purpose already laid out in your life If you would just trust and depend On me But then parents Parents, children are looking for parental parents' help because they need direction. They need direction because they need help in navigating through life's diverse roads. And they need the parents' direction because there are roads that their parents have already traveled and they are beginning to make those travels And there's nothing like having a good piece of advice before you get out there in terms of direction shortcuts what road you want to go down what road you don't want to go around what may be happening at certain points of the time of the day they need that direction we call it wisdom but they need not only direction but they need discernment they need parental discernment because all through life's journey they're landmines and they need the parental discernment because they have already walked through the minefields of life and stepped on a few and got the evidence, the scars to prove that I've stepped on that landmine. You don't wanna go over there. So they need that discernment of the parent to tell them don't, don't go so far over there. If you go too far, here's what might happen. They need direction, they need discernment. But then they need them to help make decisions. Decisions is critical because, watch this, I'm going to tie this into David, because when you talk about decisions, they, they don't yet understand that decisions sometimes, in fact, every decision has a consequence. But they have not yet understood what happens that some decisions have more magnitude of a consequence. And then there's sometimes you make decisions and the consequence won't give you a second chance. And so they they need parental help to instruct them, here it is, how to take risk in life. Because you know as well as I do, you're really not going to prepare yourself to go anywhere. Propel, not prepare, propel, move forward unless you're willing to take risk. And sometimes you take risk, you have to walk into the unknown. I don't know what's up there, really don't know how things are going to work out, but I know that if I want to get to the second base, I've got to get off of first base. And so they need that. And God puts all of those in the life of David in the context of tending sheep in the field. Let's go back to the text. God selected David. Isn't that what we were told? When Jesse paraded his sons before God, Samuel, God told Samuel neither one of them were it. But when he brought his son out from the field, God said, that's him. Young man, a woman, boy, girl, you might think because I have a disability. I have a hearing impairment my sight is limited I may have a dyslexia I might be slow of learning do you not know that that doesn't matter to the selective will of God I can take you through scripture and show you folk who had disabilities and God used them speech impediment Moses. Little above it, insanity, Peter. A bad heart, Saul of Tarsus. God doesn't care what your disability is because God already knows what your abilities are. And God selected you. Because God has a certain assignment that only you can fulfill in the eyes of God. A mere kid, God selected you like he selected David. But watch this. God not only selected you, fast forward in the text, if you will, to verse 10 of chapter 16, 1 Samuel, God has a way of surprising you. See, I'm convinced that when God selected uh, selected David, Samuel was surprised. But can you imagine when the word gets out to David in the field, you need to come back to the house because the prophet Samuel is there and Pop Jesse is waiting there and for some reason they want to see you and when David gets there, he is going to be anointed as the future king of Israel. Do you know how surprising that is? It's surprising because God says, don't ever underestimate how I can surprise you. I can bring about a move in your life and a transformation in your life, and I won't give it to you too quick because I know as a child you're not yet ready, but I can begin to set the stage where you can start to see in the horizon something great. Is going to happen in my life because God selected me and then God surprised me look at verse 10 he surprised me as the Lord has not chosen anyone but the one to whom he desired in verse 11 look at verse 12 when he selected him he saw how great he looked he surprised him but then look at verse 13 Samuel took the oil anointing him in the midst of his brothers don't 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 gloss over that phrase in the midst of his brothers because he is the least of the brothers and here he is being anointed king above the other brothers God has surprised him in the sense that I'm going to make you future king of Israel. That's my calling on your life. That's how I value you. And I want you to understand that no matter who you are, where you are, what you're in right now, don't you ever underestimate who you are because you are the creation of God in his image. And as a result of that, God's got a plan for you. Look at the text says, though, God anoints him before his brothers. And look at the surprise. And the Spirit of God came upon David mightily. Now, you have to understand something. You and I are reading this text backwards. We're reading it historically. Where the Spirit of God Has to come upon and visit you from time to time. Old Testament. Cloud, rain, direction by light, pillar cloud by day, pillar fire by night. God visits. But when we read the text now forward, God doesn't visit, God resides. God has now taken up resident. God lives. And so when you know he lives, you, you sort of sing with great joy because he lives. That's was a shout moment right there. I can face tomorrow because I know who holds the future here it is and now life is worth living just because he doesn't just visit me but he lives on the inside of me and so in the visitation of God he was already preparing David later when he would get in a moment where he would have to be able to resort back to the moment of his calling and so he could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I know what it means to have a shepherd, says David. I have attended enough sheep, and I know when the sheep are comfortable, and when the sheep is assured, I shall not want. A good shepherd makes me to lie down in green pastures because he's, he's going to lead me where food is abundant, where the source helps provide the nourishment for my soul and my body and my coat because that's, that's what I provide. The wool, he's going to give me the right nourishment. He leads me. He leads me. But green pastures and steel waters. Waters that aren't troubled but waters that flow with an ever-current stream of life and joy. He's my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the steel wall, restores my soul. Because David will come to realize what it means to have a broken soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Can you imagine how many times he walked the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death but feared no evil? because God was with him. See, if you read the text, God selects David, surprised David, but then in verse 13, we also get the indication that God strengthens David. That's how David would say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I got nothing to fear because he's with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me in the presence of, of my enemy. He's reflecting back to not only what Samuel did to him, he anoints my head with oil. But he also knows that a good shepherd carries in his pouch oil for the the healing balm for the wound of the sheep. When the sheep is wounded, could have stepped on a rock, something could have wounded him, the shepherd needs to be able to put the balm of Gilead in his womb to heal him and look what God does he anoints David the mighty leader of the spirit come on him says verse 13 but David says my strength is in God but I'm also learning even as a young man God sustains me look at verse 14 I'm almost done look at verse 14 now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him Saul's servant then said, behold, an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Saul's life is now being agonized. Here's what I meant by making decisions and their consequence. Saul makes a decision to consult the witch of Endor and God allows the evil spirit. He was consulting with an evil spirit. God let the evil spirit Saul. Saul went ballistic. He lost his mind. And watch how, David sustain, watch how God sustains David because as he's strengthening him, it's a journey that God has to prepare him. And as he prepares him, he's sustaining, knowing what his assignment would be, even in the mode of preparation. He's going to lead him to a madman who's being driven by an evil spirit. God, how could you put a child in a man's position? And yet God does that. Look at the text closely. Saul's servant says, "I, I, I do know, I do know somebody who's a good, skilled craftsman when it comes to being a musician. I think it's amazing that they can cons- they tell us that they consulted music to tame the spirit. Which is why music is such a universal language. It can do something to the heart, even when the heart has been ruffled to evilness. It, it can bring you down from the outer atmosphere. And here it is in the text. It says to us in verse 18, the young man said, I have seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, this skillful musician. But look how God is sustaining David because in the process he's preparing him. He's not just a musician. Look at the text. He's a valid, a mighty man of valor and a warrior. Who are you fighting? You a kid. Who are you fighting, folk in the streets? No, but the text is inferring that David is a rough guy. Watch this. And God knows I can send David in there before Saul because David ain't scared. He's been out in the field tending sheep, but remember, because he's the shepherd, wolves are in the periphery. Bears. On the outskirts. And David's job is to protect the sheep. And when David can't do it alone. David know whose name to call on. That God would intervene. And work it out. God says I ain't afraid. This. David is going right in there. To use his gift. As a skilled musician. As a man of valor. And as a warrior. But then look what the text says. He's not only that, one prudent in speech. That means David says, God says of David, he doesn't use slang colloquium, he doesn't have street language. He's going to see the king. Who soon to be former king. He knows how to speak. You read the story of Joseph when Joseph was in prison and when Pharaoh called him, the Bible says that Joseph got up that morning and cleaned himself up. He shaved the hair off of his face because Egyptians don't like beards. So Joseph knew if I'm going before the Pharaoh, I need to get my game together. I need to put all my ducks in the row i need to look my best i hate to do this hate to do this to you young folk but here it is he didn't show up i'm sorry i know it's a cultural thing but he didn't show up in no dreads he showed up looking how he know he needed to look to persuade see that's what you got to learn you're not in a position to demand somebody else to accept me the way i am wait a minute now when you're looking for a job you got to go prepared to conform to what that person is expecting now when you get yourself together and you run in your own situation then you can make your own rules but in the meantime get ready to conform but david knew that when i went in there i need to speak the right kind of things i need to use Etiquette speech. I need to make sure that what I say is in line. And not only that, but look at the text. It says, he was handsome. He looked good. He made sure his pants was pulled up. His shirt was tucked in. His hair was all in place. His nails were clean. His breath was well taken care of. And he had his mind focused on what he needed to do for the king. This is a young man. He's just a teenager. I'm trying to tell you, when God selects you and God surprises you, God will strengthen you and God will sustain you so that you'll be prepared for whatever the assignment is that God has in store for you. And there he is, says the text. He walks in there. and look what it says. Verse 19. Saul sent message and said, "Bring him to me. Send it back to his father, and look what Jesse did. Jesse is a part. That's why I told you, parental guidance is important. Jesse knew you can't send your son to the king empty-handed. So what does he send him? on the donkey? says the text, loaded with bread and a jug of vanilla Crown Royal. That's what it says right there. Look, 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 look at verse 20. Ain't that what it said? Oh, oh, is that Chardonnay? I'm sorry, Chardonnay, a jug of Chardonnay. Ain't that what it said right there? Aged Chardonnay. And a young goat just a whole slew of Kobe beef, right? Hanging on the back of the donkey right there. David looked back and wondered, why are all these animals following you? You got Kobe beef hanging off. That's just humor, y'all. That's humor. That's just humor. <laughs> there it is right there in the text. Because watch what God is doing. Final point, and I'm done. Because after God selects you, after God surprises you, strengthens you, and sustains you, yes, God is going to stretch you. See the text? Watch this, God stretches him. When David arrives before Saul, the Bible says, then David, verse 21, came to Saul and attended him. You know what that means? David came in and say, Saul, what is it that I can do for you? He came in and started doing, watch this young people, listen to me, listen to me. If you're employed, if you're not employed, here's a nugget. I'm not going to charge you a dime for it, but it's going to change your life. He did the little things that nobody else would do properly. He did the small things he did what looked to be insignificant. I ain't taking him no coffee. He'd get his own coffee. He's a grown man. He's setting himself up for progress. His gift is going to make room for him. It may not even be before Saul, but watch how God makes room for him later on. He did the little things and look what Saul did because he did the little things, verse 21, and Saul loved him greatly. Vacation, you ain't got to take the whole month off. Don't worry about it. Pay, you'll get vacation with pay. Promotion, you'll get a promotion. Look what the text says. He loved him and he made him his armor bearer. Now, you may not understand how important that decision was by Saul. But to make David his armor bearer, that meant that not only did he carry David's um, carry Saul's armor, but he was right beside Saul everywhere Saul went. Now there's two ways you actually could look at that. The one way is he is close to the king at all times. The other thing is he most vulnerable with the king at all times. He's an easy target. but David, was willing to risk it because God was stretching him. How do I know that? Let's read further. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, he's been there a while now. And Saul says, I know a good thing when I see it. I know a good servant when I see one. I know a good employee when I see one. He writes back to to Jesse and says, let him stay here with me. Now you got to understand from Jesse's standpoint, that's a big decision. You want my youngest son? Let him stay here with me. Look at the text. For he has found favor in my sight. In other words, Jesse, if you worry worried about economically, is he going to be taken care of? Oh, he's going to be taken care of. Politically, will he be protected? He will be protected. Socially, Oh, his status will be unbelievable. Let him stay here. In the meantime, God is stretching his musician skills. I'm done. Look at verse 20, 23. I'm done. One more, one more again, one more again. The evil spirit came on Saul. young man in the presence of such evil never seen this before but now he's in the presence of such evil but it's okay because the Lord is his shepherd and he know if he has to walk through a valley it's okay he's with him the other thing he knows that goodness and mercy follows him wherever he goes because he gonna hang on in the house of the Lord He also knows God prepares a table before him, watch this now, in the presence of an enemy. And God will anoint his head with oil and the cup of provision will run over. That just means that God is saying through David, don't worry about it. Whatever evil arises, I will give you more than enough to be victorious. I not only will anoint you to make it through, but whatever you need, grace, mercy, patience, peace, it'll be running over. But watch what God does, stretches him. Look at verse 23. So it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take out his harp and play it with his hand and Saul's entire evil persona would be reversed. I like the old King James and Saul would become a normal man again. My version says "No New American Standard, when David played the harp, God refreshed Saul. And young man or woman, you need to cooperate with God and make yourself available because you don't know who God has for you to help reverse their life. And that's why he stretches us because now David has absolutely no one to depend on but God alone. But God comes through. Because when David plays the harp and Saul is refreshed and the Bible says he became well and the evil spirit would depart from him. You teenager, you young man, you college student, God will use you for that person sitting near you in your class, at work, in your cubicle who evil just seems to saturate. But when you come in the room, there is an aura and there is a presence. That's why I say every Christian, wherever you work, you ought to tell your boss, you ought to be thankful I'm working here. You ought to be happy I'm in this house so that when evil comes up in this joint, it will have to meet me. And when it meets me, it's done ran into a wall because I am the incarnation of Christ living on the inside of me. You should tell your boss, you ought to be glad I'm working here. But also, you should be glad where you are in the sense of who you represent. You got the power to change people's lives. And watch this, it's not always what you say. Sometimes it's just your presence. I just feel different, because when you around, I don't get all upset. I just feel like something calms me down. That's God working through you. And even your friends, you know, who cop attitudes, who get mad real easy, and you just, you just there, representing who you are with that anointing, and you just look at them and say, Shh, "Just, come, just calm down. Take a deep breath. Pray and ask God to give you some patience and some strength. I know, but I, I, and they start calming down. All right, all right, all right, all right. Cause God will use you to get that evil away from them. I know some of us got folk that we have to work with or we have to be in class with. We're not to the extreme yet of wishing they were gone eternally. But their, uh, a transfer would be nice or an extended health issue that gives them a leave of absence or, you know, something of that kind. A, a long-term assignment on the other side of the building. But God. God said I'm stretching your patience and stretching your dependency and stretching faith and your hope and most of all I'm stretching and expanding and illuminating the light on the inside of you because I want you to know you are my lights in this world and I don't know if you've read lately But Jesus says, I don't put my stuff under the bushel. I put my stuff on top of the hill. So people can see it. And then you can point them to where they need to go. Young man, young woman, child, whoever you are, God will select you. God will surprise you. God will strengthen you. God will sustain you. But get ready because God is going to stretch you. And he needs to do that because you're going to be the instrument to bring someone to salvation. Thank you, David. Thank you, Joseph.